From KCRW, this is Lost Notes. Hey friends, I'm Solomon Giorgio, technically a 36-year-old man, spiritually three 13-year-old girls. Oh man, I've been waiting a while to share this one with you. As a little immigrant kid in the 80s, I immediately latched on to pop music. There's something about American pop music that transcends language. I didn't understand what anyone was singing, but I still spent all day dancing to it. When you're talking about boy bands, mm-hmm. they're not all created equal. New Kids on the Block sold a lot of records. These were white kids, yeah. granted, and um, charismatic, visually decent dancers. But who hears their songs anymore? If you turn on New Kids on the Block song, I will turn it off. <laughs> so I was stoked to spend a little time talking New Edition with Donnell Alexander, a great journalist. He's written about hip-hop and sports and so many wonderful things. Cool It Now, cool it now has this unique energy. It's, it's a, that perfect piece of mm-hmm. pop. And you'd call it disposable, except it does stay with you. It does. It lingers. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been in a, in a situation, like dance-wise, where no one gets excited about that song. Right? Cool It Now is like, everybody knows this goddamn song. You better get your ass up. <laughs> but I kind of forgot something. These five young kids, they're from Boston. You know, there was early hip-hop stuff in Boston that showed up there. The dancing, you know, there's, there's this black culture there that you might not otherwise see. And if you didn't think New Edition's from Boston, a lot of people didn't think that. But Donnell says that when Bobby Brown, Ricky Bell, Michael Bivens, Ronnie DeVoe, and Ralph Tresvent all started hanging out in Los Angeles, Boston sure as hell noticed. And one toss-away music video landed them right in the middle of one of the biggest sports rivalries of all time. From KCRW, this is Lost Notes. Introducing the KCRW Donation Car, designed to be recycled. This first-of-its-kind vehicle will save you time, space, and hassle by disappearing. Enjoy the luxury and comfort of turning your underused car into a donation worth hundreds, even thousands of dollars. The KCRW Donation Car, already in your garage, driveway, or on cinder blocks outside your house. Act now at kcrw.com cars. Let's not even pretend. I was not checking for New Edition back in 85, the year my secret hit. My favorite group back then? Probably Jesse Johnson's Review. A dude like me wasn't exactly in the New Edition demo. But as an American teen, you could not not be aware of New Edition. Their songs were in the air, on boomboxes and car radios. New Edition were even dancing in coke ads. But musical artists who weren't white still struggled to get onto MTV. So Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, Mike, and frontman Lil Ralphie Tresvent found themselves dancing on networks like The Box. That was an all-request video channel that landline telephone callers would pay to program. If you were adolescent and boy crazy, you probably loved it. But for everyone else, chances are that New Edition seems splayed out in the culture like a completely juiced orange. You couldn't avoid them. It's another request to win, only on the Box Music Network. Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike. If I love the girl, who cares who you like?
My Secret was the throwaway fourth single from their second album. Not their most famous song, but the one I think most shaped their fate. That does not keep My Secret from being sweet as a skittle and just as wonderfully uncomplicated. Just feel that hint of Jackson 5-era rhythm guitar. Guitar about a decade past its due date, made fresh. New addition. There's this Stevie-ish solo, too. Odd instrumentation for 80s popular R&B, but a deep American callback. The video for this song, though, is what I want to talk about. The thing has two parts, these Boston kids dancing around Hollywood, then a basketball bit set inside the Forum of Inglewood. Hold up. If you've got a lick of 80s sports knowledge, this video is extremely disconcerting. Lead singer Ralph Tresvant rubs elbows with Magic Johnson both on the floor of the Forum and outside the Forum Club. And is that him with Lakers coach Pat Riley? What the hell are we looking at? That can't be the Bobby Brown and the fellas with Inglewood in the background. This is New Edition from Boston. What are five kids from Celtics country doing palling around with the Lakers exactly when one of the most famous sports rivalries in American history is at its peak? Two franchises littered with Hall of Fame players, some of the greatest names in the history of the sport. 85 is the year the Lakers and Celtics are driving toward a finals rematch. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Larry Bird versus Magic Johnson, and all of the Reagan-era racial baggage that that brought. It's West Coast gloss against the Celtics' lunch-pail mentality. That's a dog-whistle thing sports media people used to use. Everyone who followed sports was hip to the intensity, but rivalries are felt hardest close to home, in the barbershop, on the block. It's a question of where loyalties lie. So let's get this out of the way. Representatives for New Edition did not respond to requests to participate in this story. But their opting out was expected. Money and fame can cover up for a lot of things, but they cannot reclaim sports innocence. Last summer, Bobby Brown did have an exchange that begins to tell the story. This is on the Cypher Hip Hop podcast, hosted by Sean Sotero, a Boston native. And in the My Secret video, it's a great video, but you guys are hanging out with the Lakers. What's up with five Boston guys hanging out with the Lakers? Oh, man, that's just a video. <laughs> We're die-out Boston fans, trust me. We wasn't trying to make it out to look like that we were Laker fans because, you know, we wear Boston gear all day, all night. Yeah, you catch any grief back home after that came out? Yes, yes, we did. To grasp the nature of this grief, you got to go to the source, to the neighborhood where a young Bobby Brown founded the group with Michael Bivens and Ricky Bell. New Edition was different in that they were unmistakably Roxbury. They were unmistakably Boston. I'm Dart Adams. I'm a music historian and also a writer. New Edition used to be called The Bricks. I know a lot of people uh, think they know a lot about New Edition from watching the BET show. Point of fact, one person I interviewed referred to that scripted BET miniseries as the BET documentary. It aired about a year ago on Black Entertainment Television. All we got to do is pick us a good song, get us some cool outfits, and we'll win first prize. As long as we all get to sing. Cool. 
See, man, we on our way. But a lot of stuff was left out. Like the fact that they were hardcore Celtics fans. Dart is a hardcore, old-school music scribe. He's a Roxbury cat, too. Came up a little bit after New Edition did. When Dart was a little wannabe ball player, Mike Bivens, Biv, would be handing out basketball tips. Biv used to yell at me when I was seven because I couldn't dribble between my legs without looking down. And he was like, you're going to be tall. Nah, man, you got to be able to dribble, man. What you doing? Nah, man. Dart Adams knows his new addition as only a Roxbury cat could. Orchard Park was essentially like, just like anything else in Boston, everything was really tight-knit and really community-based, but also extremely territorial. When 1979 began, New Edition were worse than nobodies. They were underage, poor nobodies. They were still going by the name The Bricks, and they were more about street dancing and pickup hoops than musical performance. A lot more. I knew them from then when they started doing talent shows at the Shelburne and performing at the Hollywood dance uh, talent shows that uh, Maury Starr put on. I should mention something about Boston. It's one of those places in America where black entertainment traditions existed separately from the white ones. To mainstream America in 1979, Boston meant the Jay Giles Band, the eponymous Boston, and, of course, Aerosmith. But really, the livest joint in Boston that year was Roxbury's Hollywood Talent Show. The talent show circuit was competitive in a way that only Boston stuff is competitive. I think the best analogy would, would be Texas high school football and Boston because we had that kind of pride in it because we were that good at it. And the competition was that tough. Boston's talent show circuit gave the world people like Donna Summer. For some odd reason, we had this weird pipeline to Germany. The disco diva was identified nationally more as a European phenomenon than a Boston thing. Coming up through the late 70s and early 80s, uh, bands like the Energetics, Johnson Crew, Arthur Baker's band, which was Planet Patrol. Boston talent show crowds were demonstrative and unyielding, like Harlem's Apollo Theater, but mad smaller. An objective observer would guess that five little boys couldn't win here. But their second time on stage, the group got its break. Boston music historian Tony Rose describes that night at the Hollywood talent show this way. On Sunday, dressed to kill, clean as they could be, and Project Hall rehearsed, little Richard Ricky Bell, Michael Bivens, Ralph Tresvent, and 12-year-old Bobby Brown, along with assorted relatives and friends, made their way across the street to Roscoe's Lounge, got up on stage, lip-synced to a record, came in first place, and met Maurice Starr. Amateur or not, these boys had a thing that projected innocence and rawness. That thing was actually a hip-hop energy that had little industry around it yet. Girls in particular went for it. The Bricks placed second, and they got a chance to record with a real mover and shaker, singer-producer Maurice Starr, one half of the R&B act, The Johnson Crew, and co-owner of Streetwise Records. 
he's looking at these guys and he's like, I know what I can do to put them on the national stage and make them explode internationally simultaneously. Maury Star had the vision where he was like, I see this raw talent and I'm going to do something with it and make it bigger than just Boston. And I think the only person who even thought of that for some kids from Orchard Park Projects, you know, was Maury Star. The result was an album, Candy Girl, same name as the lead single. Within the year, New Edition had the number one song in the UK and American black music charts. It knocked a monster hit off the top. You may have heard of it. Michael Jackson's Beat It. And a quick side note, if you're ever lucky enough to see the video for Candy Girl, you'll be struck by just how much of Bobby Brown's dance posturing comes from anger, a budding young druggie. The New Edition founder was already a perceived misfit, pushed to the edge of the frame. So... In that one decision to take a deal with Maury Starr, the mundane project lives of these boys changed. Their fame increased. A big tour was planned. There was talk of moving to Los Angeles eventually. But even before the New Edition boys left Boston for real, before they had made a literal dollar, it was starting. Well, I think one of the, the Boston phrases, oh, so you think you're better than me. I mean, there is an attitude of like, who do you think you are? When they came home, you know, they got a hero's welcome, but they also got grief. Every time um, Biv showed up in Progressives, my brother used to go to a barbershop called Progressives, you know, he would just turn to Biv and be like, yo, what was up with, why did they wear sweater vests in that television appearance, you know, or something like that. It's like, that ain't y'all. It didn't matter because they were the Boston guys. They were our guys. After their first tour, Maurice Starr gave the kids almost no money. A buck eighty-seven apiece. The mothers of New Edition got a lawyer to try and get some money out of them and to get out of their contract, but that wasn't the only holdup. Candy Girl was basically ABC Sideways with a lyrical twist. ABC was a Motown single penned by the in-house songwriters at Motown. It was a ripoff. Bill Dern is a music biz lifer with a degree from Wharton. He took over New Edition after Maury's star. And it could have been busted, except Michael Jackson himself said to Barry Gordy and Freddie, because Barry wanted to have Joe Bett Music, the publisher, sue to take this song off the radio, because it was a copyright infringement. The New Edition story should have ended right here. In 1982, their music was enjoined and their tour stopped while the courts sorted everything out. Without Michael Jackson's help, there wouldn't have been a new edition the next day. Michael said, these kids are just like us. When we got started, we didn't have any money. Barry, we have enough money. All of us do. We don't need the money that they're going to make on this song. That's the God's honest truth. I was taking them from a roller rink band. When they went to MCA, they were playing roller rinks for $1,000 a night into a Madison Square Garden band in one album because we were on a speed roll. My nature was to do that, and it worked. The time came. 
The boys moved to Los Angeles, and their mothers leapt at the chance to go with them. Now in L.A., they were getting started on their major label debut. MCA wanted an up-tempo number with that classic feel. Bobby Hart was a friend of mine. Not good, but a, a friend. Hey, it's Bobby Hart here, singer, songwriter, record producer for a lot of groups, and most notably maybe the Monkees. Hey, hey, we're the Monkees, and people say we monkey around. This was the prefab four. At least that's what critics dubbed them in 1966. The Monkees had the platform of a weekly TV show and sold a bajillion records, mostly to adoring girls. In the Partridge family and New Edition, and of course... Uh, a career with my writing producing partner, Tommy Boyce. I knew his writing was exquisite. Take the last train to Foxville, I'll be waiting at the station. We'll have time for Bobby for later kisses and a bit of conversation. And he understood what could motivate teenage girls. The Monkees sold records to teenage girls, not teenage boys. We wanted to sell records to teenage girls. Topicality is important, understanding the simplicity of a lyric, the simplicity of a melody, things that certain writers can do and other writers can't. Bill Dern and MCA were trying to get this funky little Boston act into heavy rotation on MTV. They would have killed to have, pardon the awkwardness, black monkeys. In the abstract, the group seemed video-ready, but the dance that they were doing was delicate. A guy like Hart was right for the job. Eventually, he and a co-writer named Dick Eastman made a trip out to the Oakwood Apartments, where the boys were staying. The Oakwood was a big uh, apartment complex. When I say big, it must have had hundreds of uh, units, and this was very close to uh, MCA Records, and so it was a perfect place to put the guys. Bobby remembers that he and Dick let the feeling flow. We didn't show up at Oakwood with preconceived uh, songs. We just went in and hung with them for a while, shot the bull with them a little bit, and then we asked them if they had any ideas of what they wanted to write about. Not all of New Edition was up for the process. A couple of them left. Bobby wasn't there. And uh, we went down, Dick and I went down there, and uh, we wrote, I think, five songs at least. Bill Dern had a vision for them learning all the time, learning to be better singers, learning to write their own music. My secret came from that collaboration. He's a little shy to come right out and say it, and you're not, you know, it wouldn't be cool just to say I love you if you, you know, when you're just meeting somebody. So it's, uh, he's giving her clues. Here's one clue, here's the next clue. Did you get it yet? They stepped up, you know. I mean, they, they learned like the rest of us. Uh, they got better, and uh, they learned to sing in certainly backgrounds, and you only need one, one lead singer. We had four guys with the monkeys, and uh, they all wanted to be lead singers. And Bobby Hart delivered these songs, which had exactly the, the thing to take them out of the Candy Girl era into the next era. You know, it's going from 13 years old to 15 and a half years old. Their topicality went up a little bit because the girls had grown a little older, too. I don't like the word commodity, but they were an image, I guess. 
They were an image that girls uh, couldn't stay away from. So New Edition had some songs, but the new record wasn't ready to be released yet. Meantime, Bill Dern and MCA had them go do that other thing the kids did so well. They weren't singers. They were dancers who also loved to play basketball. Biv was easily one of the best point guards I've ever seen in my entire life. I remember stories about that dude either being on tour or rehearsing for a tour, flying into Boston, playing in a uh, Boston City playoff game, tearing it up, hitting the game-winning shot, celebrating with his team, running off the court into a car, and then flying back to the airport to continue the tour. Coca-Cola sponsored the R&B act as a round ball show, city to city and town to town. We promoted high school basketball games between New Edition and whatever the high school had. They were short, but they played all the time. All the radio stations wanted to do promotions. We'd be between records. We pushed them like faster than, than lightning. If they were still going to school, Michael and Ralph and Bobby and Ronnie and Ricky would have been high school underclassmen, junior varsity material. They must have felt impenetrable. Good evening, everybody, and welcome. I'm Brent Musburger. If you could bottle all the emotion that is released in a basketball game, you'd have enough hatred to start a war and enough joy to prevent one. So we skip ahead to January of 1985, where I started with you the year the video for My Secret hit. The Boston Celtics were looking to repeat as NBA champions, and the finals opponent would almost certainly be the Lakers, again. And here tonight in the ancient Boston Garden, we'll run the entire gamut of emotions. And when we're finally finished, the survivor will receive this trophy, the Larry O'Brien Trophy, for being the NBA world champion this year. The Celtics had been undefeated in eight finals against the Lakers. This is what old-school hoops beef looked like, from the days when networks didn't even show the game score on screen all the time. This Lakers-Celtics rivalry married a singular disdain for L.A. with a provincialism that's all but synonymous with Beantown. No room for traitors. A swath of white America was learning to find the team from L.A. insufferable. L.A. was Magic Johnson and glamour and glitz. Boston was Bird and McHale and the so-called lunch pail ethic. This clash in sensibility was hard to overhype. New Edition were about to step right in it. They're Boston fans at birth, and that's the nature of Boston. There's nothing that's ever going to make them root for the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Lakers. Period. Case closed. Of course, at the time, Boston and um, the Celtics and the Lakers were huge rivals. But in Boston, the black community in Boston were well aware that outside of this city or New England, black people in America did not care for the Celtics. And of course, it was hilarious to us because the Celtics, at one point, Larry Bird was the only white starter. But that's when they got the most coverage and that's when they were the most visible. They forget the fact that Casey Jones was the coach, which is incredible, mind-blowing to me. Black America was swooning for Magic Johnson. The NBA had recently established its bona fides by having Marvin Gaye perform what's broadly considered the greatest national anthem performance ever. Can you see There was always an aura of the unnecessary to the My Secret video. 
There had never even been a call to even make a video for the fourth single. No budget. But there was Irving Azoff, president of MCA. Irving was best friends with Jerry Buss, and Jerry Buss on the forum. Irving Azoff had 14 acts that played the forum every year. He promoted shows uh, in their venue and made them a lot of money on their, on their off days. You know, you're talking millions of dollars of business. Watching the video with all of this in mind makes the thing feel less like a throwaway and more like a corporate orange juicing. The boys could not have known what they'd done. Let's welcome America's most talented, good-looking kids next door, new edition. Okay, let's get back to the video for my secret. Ralph Tresvent rides a pink bike over a Silver Lake sidewalk. He's decked out in a black and white sweatsuit. Not three seconds in, the image of a Los Angeles Laker rebounding a basketball flashes across the screen, and by implication, the lead singer's mind. The words Ralph wrote with the help of those white men kick in. He joins the rest of the fellows outside a newsstand. They dance with a lot of black girls, all but one of whom could have passed the old-school paper bag test. We had about 500 girls showed up for the video and just screamed and yelled and, and acted as a crowd and stuff like that. You may need to do a search for a paper bag test. Then, the narrative shifts without warning. We're inside the Los Angeles Forum at a crowded basketball game. <laughs> when Bobby Brown hops the turnstile, it's pretty certain that wasn't scripted. Feels super motivated. The boys and their dates find their seats. Everybody's incredibly excited. They're watching a tight game between Magic's Lakers and what appears to be the Portland Trailblazers. There's almost zero relationship between the music and the visuals. Not in a smart, artsy way, either. There was no rhyme or reason to a storyline. The story didn't matter, because the group just had to do things that were interesting. Jerry Buss gave us the forum for no money. I mean, you can't rent the forum for, for less than 50, in those days, even 50 to 100,000. He paid all the union fees and everything else, just to be nice. By the way, the video came in at a budget of only $25,000. Then the score tightens, and Pat Riley shows up in a gauzy frame that suggests a dream state. The coach summons little Ralphie Tresvent out of the stands. He goes up to receive a game-winning alley-oop pass from Magic Johnson and dunks it. I made that shot in the fourth quarter, and put my head in the stuff, and the guys are going, now, nah, man, Ralph, you're just full of crap. Ralph, you don't know what you're talking about. And they're all getting on Ralph, and Magic walks up behind him, walking out of the forum, puts his arm around Ralph and says, nice shot, kid. Maybe I've watched this video too many times. I'm convinced that if you freeze my secret at the exact moment when the Lakers call up Ralph, you can see the boyhood slip right off the other guy's faces. Right there. Right there. The group breaks up. So that's the gimmick, okay? The secret was, nice shot, kid. Call Johnny Gill. It's over. The Lakers are winning it. Three in six years. L.A. comes to Boston and wins the world title. Sometimes it's harder to go back to the neighborhood barber than others. They took a lot of ribbing. The Celtics called them up and said, what are you doing? But on the other hand, you know, the video cost money. And nobody was paying for the video to be made in Boston. And to be quite frank about it, none of us thought about that problem because we were so happy to do a video with the Lakers. 
Bobby Brown only had so much innocence to lose. He was doing drugs and becoming a father while still a bubblegum idol. Regardless, Bobby and Mike and the rest of his old street dance crew were so viscerally Boston, they were part of its issues and its fabric. So when New Edition made that big and public sports compromise, the local hurt was real. And it doubles back to when um, there was the documentary Celtics versus Lakers, The Best of Enemies. Some people in Boston loved it, but the black community, Latino community in Boston were really pissed off because we didn't get any representation. So there's a part where um, Matthew Johnson says he's in um, the uh, airport or whatever. He says, hey, man, we root for the Lakers. All of us in Roxbury, we root for the Lakers. And I was like, bullshit. Like, no, no, we don't. Like, we're Celtics fans. As far as the My Secret video, we did feel kind of um, deserted. We felt kind of betrayed. When you have the only black guys who are visible and the term they use now relevant in music, popular music at that, not just black music, popular music, and they have the Lakers in their video when they're from Boston and Boston and L.A. have an intense rivalry, it felt like a knife in the heart. We knew we were going to give them hell for being Boston guys, Roxbury guys, who are Celtics fans, diehard Celtics fans, being in a video in L.A. with the Lakers. But we knew why, and that made it hurt even more. That June, the Celtics lost to the Lakers in the NBA Finals, the first time in eight tries. Nothing lasts forever. The following October, New Edition released the album All for Love, By the time the record was on shelves, Bobby Brown was out of the group. Bobby would take his reed-thin voice to MTV, where he ruled and went multi-platinum with brash, danceable solo albums. He married arguably the greatest singer of all, Whitney Houston. Bobby maintains, credibly, that he didn't get his late wife into drugs but he behaved shitty enough that he still got blamed for her demise. Ralph Tresvant received his proper solo launch. And Michael Bivens, Ricky Bell, and Ronnie DeVoe went on to form Bell Biv DeVoe. Their initial wave of success went even further than new additions. Ultimately, the former Bricks would influence can't-sing cute boy delivery systems like New Kids on the Block and can-sing acts such as Boys to Men. Bobby Brown's crew brought madness to the method. If they didn't create their craziness and their magic, it wouldn't have been. Years ago, I interviewed NBA coach George Carl. We got to talking about my home state, Ohio, and when I told him where I was from, the coach, who is white, opined that I was from the white part of the state. And I'm still not over his presupposition of all that implies. One's hood is one's hood is one's hood. We know why it happened, but it still hurt. A bunch of teenagers were going to fight a huge record label and say we wanted the Celtics to be in it. MCA is a big label and was based in L.A. and it specializes in, I should say, black music. And what about black music to the wider audience, screams Boston. Boston wasn't Detroit, you know? 
So they wanted to play down them being from Boston and especially play down them being Roxbury residents because it's not like Harlem. It is to us. New Edition graced the NBA with the closest thing to a hip-hop R&B crossover that existed. And they're still kings in Roxbury, the Harlem of Boston. They're the most successful act ever to grace a Boston talent show stage this side of Donna Summer. Michael Biggs and I'm running the show. <laughs> now you know your slick blow. Today's episode was produced by Donnell Alexander. We didn't even go too deep into the new edition catalog. We've got a playlist with a bunch of their stuff and other songs from the series at kcrw.com slash lost notes. Lost Nose is produced by Mike Dodge-Weisskopf. Our executive producer is Nick White. Thanks to Marion Hodges for production assistance. Andrew Leland and David Weinberg contributed editing to this episode. And also, David, thanks for letting us record part of this episode in your attic. Lost Notes is made with support from KCRW's independent producer project. Our theme music is by Science Park. I'm Solomon Giorgio. Stay beautiful. Stay beautiful.